Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. To do an inventory. You know what an inventory is, especially if you have worked in a business. An inventory is that period of time in the business, annual period of time, where the business takes stock of all of the inventory that it has. What do we have on hand? What is our current state? Seems like a good time this weekend to do a personal inventory. As 2017 slips into the mist of time, as 2018 looms large and unentered, it's a good time to do an inventory. One of the jobs I had, of several jobs, working my way through college, was at the Adventist Book Center in Keene, Texas. I loved working at the Adventist Book Center because I love books. I love being around books. I love seeing what was being published. I love reading and keeping up with the trends of what was happening at that time in Adventism. But there was one time of year I didn't particularly enjoy, and that was the time of year when we did inventory. I can't tell you for sure why. I understood the necessity of it. Maybe it was because we closed our doors and we had no contact with clients. Maybe it was because I had to do so much counting. I had a very elevated position. My title was shipping clerk. And so I was the one that made my way up and down one aisle and one row after another, one shelf after another, counting every single book and every magazine and every Bible and every record and every cassette Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Every (laughs) 8-track, whatever it was we had at the time, I counted it. I didn't particularly enjoy that, but I understood the thinking behind it. There's a time to figure out where you stand so that you will know where to go next. In fact, I looked up that word inventory on dictionary.com, and it had a list of definitions, the first of which was directed to businesses just like I've just described. It said that annual time in a business when a big business takes stock, where do we stand? But then I perused down the other definitions as well, and I came across this one. There was one there that addressed not businesses, but individuals. It said that experience of taking stock of our personality, our character traits, our strengths, our weaknesses in order to make decisions about the future. That's the kind of inventory I'm talking about. As 2017 exits and 2018 enters, this may not be a bad time to do a personal inventory. So I want to ask you some questions, read you some questions actually, in four different areas, professional or student life, relationships, personal and family life, and spiritual life. I want you to do just a brief inventory of your own life and experience. 
Now, you won't be able to keep track of all the questions, but just get a general sense of how you think you're doing in each of those four areas. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Don't raise your hands, no body contortions, no jerking, because people will know that one hit the spot, and you don't want them to know that. <laughs> so just keep track. Four areas. First area, professional and or student life. In 2017, did I grow professionally? In 2017, did I invest myself well as a student? Am I a better contractor, artist, doctor, dentist, roofer, lawyer, or student than I was a year ago? Have I made a sound commitment to lifelong learning? Did I do right by my clients? Did I serve my patients with honor and integrity? Did I relate to my professors and peers with truth and grace? Did I put people before money, need before greed, service above reward? You doing okay out there? That's professional or student life. You have a sense of how you answered those questions. What about the second area? This one, relationships. In 2017, did I nurture my personal relationships? Did I spend time with my friends? Did I regularly check on them to see how they're doing? Did our conversations go deeper than the how's it going variety? How many friends' homes have I visited? Have I responded with time and care to the crises my friends may have experienced? Have I sought to repair any relational ruptures that exist? Have I been an agent of reconciliation in my friendship circle? So that's the second area. They're all still here. So we'll move into the third area, personal and family lives. After God, is my family my highest priority? And if my family were to be asked that question, would they give the same answer I just gave? Have I regularly invested time? Do we talk? Play together, laugh, pray together. If I were suddenly to be gone for a week, would they know it? Would they miss me? That's the third area. And finally, the spiritual arena. Do I know Jesus at a deeper level than I did last year? Have I regularly read his word? Is my prayer life vital? And robust. Do others take note of me as they did of the disciples in Acts and say, He, she, has been with Jesus? So, how are you doing? You still with me? Now, unless I miss my guess, you're feeling about like I'm feeling. And that's a little beaten down, thinking, mercy. I don't think I like this thing of taking a personal inventory. It doesn't feel so good. Well, the honest truth is because we're human, there are reasons for some discouragement, but because of grace, there are reasons for some gratitude. That's the reality of doing a personal inventory. But I would suggest, I would venture a guess. 
I would suggest that it's those disappointments, those places where we can't answer as we wish we could, that drive us to make New Year's resolutions. It's those experiences as we look back over the past year and say, I didn't do so well here and there and the other place. I need to make some changes in the new year, and then we start making our list. I was interested to note, according to one source, there are several areas that repetitively appear in people's New Year's resolution list. Right at the top of those areas, highest percentage, I'm going to lose some weight in the new year. Pretty common. There are others that are quite common, like spending more time with family, reading more, exercising. That's a big one. We make the lists. And yet we seem to have the same kind of experience. Every year at this time of the year, I've shared it with you several years. I'll probably share it again next year. I still remember every time we come to this time of year, a little verse that appeared, if I'm not mistaken, in the Houston Chronicle years ago, back when I lived and ministered in Texas. There's a little verse that stuck in my mind about New Year's resolutions and this time of year. It said simply this. Last year, I made a list of things that I resolved to do. I'll use that list again this year. It's still as good as new. <laughs> we know that experience. But I think that's what drives us forward is recognizing we didn't get it done. We didn't get it accomplished. There's so many more ways in which I wish I could grow. So maybe, maybe this weekend is not a bad time for a personal inventory. Now, I think a personal inventory does two things. It addresses two questions. First question it asks, it answers rather, is where do I stand? Second question it answers is where do I go? Because now I know where I stand. From here, where do I go? I want to go to a passage of scriptures in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. I want to go to a passage of scripture where a man does a personal inventory. And then growing out of what happens with his personal inventory, he makes a decision about where he's going to go in the future. Now, honestly, what he finds in the personal inventory is a bit surprising. And then what he decides to do with that is quite insightful. So I want to look at that. But before we read it, some background is in order. We're in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is a paradoxical book. It really is, you, you, you sense some irony in the situation because here Paul is, he's in a Roman prison. He is looking ahead to his trial and almost certainly looking ahead to his execution. Bound by chains, it's the ideal place for disappointment to be deep, for depression to deepen, for unhappiness to flourish. Just the kind of situation where people ruminate about the past and the mistakes they've, they've made, living regretfully in the past or anxiously in the future. Ideal circumstance for that. And yet the irony is, instead of that, it is Paul's most joyful letter. It just overabounds with joy. 
Some examples, right near the beginning of the letter, he writes about the fact that he is in chains. But if I could paraphrase his words, he says, I am in chains, but don't worry about it. In fact, rejoice with me about being in chains. Why? Because other people who have been scared to share the gospel before have watched my situation, have seen my circumstance, and they have taken courage from what has happened to me, and now they are sharing the gospel. So I rejoice because of my chains. What? Exactly. Or take another situation about which he writes. He says, there is contention within the body of Christ. Some preach Christ out of envy, some out of competition, some out of motives for ill-gotten gains, all kinds of reasons to be upset. But what does Paul say? He says, doesn't matter to me because in the end, Christ is being preached, and in that I rejoice. What? Or take him addressing the situation of division in the Philippian church. Two women divided against each other. Factions have lined up behind them. And Paul says to them, come on now, sisters, come on. Euodia and Syntyche, come on. You've got to get along. And he talks with them about joining together at the very end of what he says to them about coming together. You know what his next words are? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And I say, wow, Paul, I don't quite understand, but I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you're joyful. I'm glad you're glad. That's Philippians. But we want to look at a section where Paul is addressing some teachers who have slipped in among them and who are trying to drag them back to their old lifestyle of legalism. Paul is warning the church about them. But as he warns the church about what they're trying to do, Paul does his own personal inventory. It's almost as though he's part of a 12-step program. You know what they say in step four? Took a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Then in step eight, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Paul makes his inventory here, and then he admits to all of us and to God what came out of that? And then ultimately he's going to say, this is where I'm going because of that. So let's first of all read his inventory. It's contained in the warning that he gives. Philippians chapter 3, I start reading in verse 1. And here he's at it again in verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. First thing he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. <laughs> He's not happy with these people. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now he moves into his inventory. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If we had asked Paul, before he met Christ, before the light of Jesus shined on him on the road to Damascus, if we had met Paul and had said, Paul, what's your personal inventory? He would have said, you want to hear it? I'll be glad to share it because it's pretty remarkable. And he could have listed it for us. My religious credentials, sterling. My behavior, stellar. Top of the heap. Top of the ladder. Better than anyone else you can find. In fact, when he talks about righteousness that is accomplished by obeying the law, the word he uses in the TNIV is rendered faultless. Nobody can find fault with me. Faultless. Other versions render it blameless. In other words, my personal inventory, I have no problems. Religiously speaking, I'm in great shape. But, but, when it comes to spiritual things, things are not always as they appear to be. The writer and preacher John Ortberg writes, We were with friends at an open-air street fair when we spotted a mechanical bull that tries to buck people off. The guy operating the bull said, watching isn't nearly as fun as riding. So I told the bull operator that I wanted to ride. He took one look at my middle-aged body and asked, you sure? Well, that guaranteed that I wouldn't back down. He explained to me that the bull has 12 levels of difficulty. It might not be easy, he said, but the key is you have to stay centered on the bull. You have to follow the bull. You have to shift your center of gravity as the bull moves. So I got on the bull. And it started slow. And then it started moving faster and jostling around. And I was holding on real tight. Then I remembered his advice, so I loosened up, and it kept moving faster and jolting and bucking and jumping. I was hanging on sideways. My arms were flailing all over the place. I just hung on, and finally, finally, the bull slowed down, and it stopped, and I was still on the bull. It wasn't pretty, but I made it. I imagined how surprised the bull's operator would be that I had triumphed. So I looked over at him, and he looked over at me. Shaking his head, he smiled and said, Nice job. That was level one.
That was Paul. Paul, I'm in great shape. I have stayed on the whole time. And then he met Christ. And Christ undid all of his righteousness, all of his legalism, all of the ways in which he had tried to be the best, the most upstanding citizen, all of the New Year's resolutions list that he had checked off one at a time, done, 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 done. It's been a good year. Christ undid them all. And Paul ended up saying, after I met Jesus, all of those great accomplishments, my, my religious credentials that were sterling, my religious behavior that was stellar, I counted it all loss in order to come to know Christ. That's his inventory. Remember, inventory asks two questions. Where do I stand? Where do I go? And for Paul, that first question, where do I stand? He thought, I stand at the top of the mountain. He discovered, I'm at the bottom of the heap. So now he had to decide, where do I go? And he answers that for us. Starting with the very next verse, back to Philippians 3, starting with Philippians 3 and verse 12, he answers that verse. This is what he says regarding about where he's going to go next. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Did you notice those words in verse 13? When it comes to answering that question, what next, what do I do now, where do I go now? Paul says, but one thing I do. Just one thing. I have an unyielding, unwavering, undying focus on one thing. Now, what that meant, he says, is I had to forget what was behind me. Now, I know how I have often thought of that. Maybe you have as well. When Paul says, forgetting what's behind, what I'm thinking is, he's forgetting all of the failures of the past. All the mistakes you made in 2017, let them stay in 2017. The places where you've blown it, where you didn't live up even to your own ideals, much less to God's, let all that stay in the past. Forgetting what is behind. Now that's correct. I don't argue with that, but that's not what Paul is saying. When Paul says, forgetting what is behind, he's talking about forgetting his successes, his accomplishments, his righteousness, his religious fervor and vigor that led him to be 
totally a success in that manner of life. He says, all of my success is all of that in the past. Now I have just one focus. Just one thing I do. Forgetting what is in the past, straining forward. It's, it's an athletic term that Paul uses in the original. You can picture in your mind's eye those Olympians, particularly those who are in the 100-meter dash, the Usain Bolts of the world. When you focus in on, you see every muscle taut, glistening, shining as they pound their way down the track. That's Paul's Im imagery, straining toward what is ahead. I have one focus, just one. And I thought this week as I read that, what do I know? What do you know? What do we know about that kind of focus that allows everything else to go by but says, this is what I'm about? I was wondering about focus, and so some nosing around on the Internet, I found a piece that came from L.com, written by Emily Zimler. In this piece, Emily Zimler is writing about the focus certain actors have on their role. They have been awarded a role, and they are so focused on doing this role to the absolute best of their ability that they'll do these kinds of things. Zemler writes, For her role in Black Swan, Natalie Portman trained with New York City ballet dancer Mary Helen Bowers for eight hours a day, six days a week, for 12 months before the film started shooting. For his role in My Left Foot, Daniel Day-Lewis interacted with disabled patients at Sandy Mount School Clinic in Dublin, Ireland. Between takes during filming, he remained in his wheelchair and was spoon-fed and carried around by the crew. For his role in The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio plunged in and out of icy rivers, ate raw buffalo meat, and slept in a simulated horse carcass. For his role in the film Fury, Shia LaBeouf, trained with the U.S. National Guard and was a chaplain's assistant in the 41st Infantry. During the filming, he didn't bathe for four months. To better imitate Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx wore prosthetic eyelids, leaving him blind most of each day. Occasionally, he inadvertently was left alone on the set, the crew forgetting that he was blind. He also learned all the piano parts and lost 30 pounds in one week for the role. For her role in Fantine and Les Miserables, Anne Hathaway shaved her head, lost 25 pounds, and subsisted on a daily diet of two thin squares of dried oatmeal paste. To play a drug addict in Jungle Fever, Halle Berry visited a real crack den, got to know the addicts. During the filming, she abstained from bathing for 10 days. In his role for the pianist, Adrian Brody familiarized himself with despair and hunger. He moved to Europe bringing only two suitcases of personal belongings and lived a meager lifestyle. He lost 30 pounds and took piano and dialect lessons. Brody said, 
There is an emptiness that comes with really starving that I hadn't experienced. I couldn't have acted that without knowing it. I've experienced loss. I've experienced sadness in my life, but I didn't know the desperation that comes with hunger. All of that for focus. Focus on a role that they will play for a brief period of their lives. Paul says, I have one focus. For I've lived my life, the ups and the downs, the goods, the bads, the twists and the turns. I have left all my religious success behind me, and I am focused on just one thing. What is that focus? He says it in various different ways in our verse for today, but maybe summarizes it best when he says this. My one goal is to know Christ. To know Christ. To know Christ and the power of His resurrection. You want to change life, a life where you won't have to worry so much about New Year's resolutions? Know the expulsive, explosive power of the resurrection of Jesus that will absolutely turn your life upside down. I want to know Christ, Paul says. The power of his resurrection. The experience of joining in his sufferings. That at the end of days, I might be called forth a conqueror from the grave. One focus. I want to know Christ. It's a good year, good weekend rather, end of the year. A good weekend for a personal inventory. To take stock of what the last year was like. To make decisions about what we want the next year to be. It's a good weekend for that. We'll make resolutions. I'll make a few, I'm sure. But I've concluded the problem with resolutions is they're, they're just too small. Too small. Want greater insight and less weight? More reading, less TV? More going to church, less going out to eat? You know the things I'm talking about. They're just too small. They're scattered. They're, they're much more buckshot than they are bullet. Paul is about bullet. He makes the choice that engulfs all the other choices. For Paul to stand here in this place today, I think he would say to us, as you do your personal inventory, decide where you stand and from there where you go. As you do that this year, I have a suggestion. Keep it tight. Keep it focused. Keep it singular. For me, he says, one is enough. The one goal of my life is to know Christ. That's my resolution for 2018.
and yours. Gracious God, we are so grateful, so deeply thankful that our lives are in your hands, that you have brought us to another moment where we can reflect, where we can ponder, where we can decide. Lord, as 2017 inexorably moves into the past, and as 2018 unavoidably looms in the future, might the cry of our hearts be, I want to know Christ. In His name, amen.